this is really critical today because anticipation is another way of saying, uh, are, are you prepared for what is about to hit you? You know, this is one of the frustrations that I've had for a long time. We've been doing this threat vulnerability analysis forever. We can't control the threat space. The, the adversaries are, are throwing their best and their brightest at us 24-7. They're well-resourced, especially nation-state level resources and terrorist groups who are well-funded. They have the best attack tools out and our vulnerabilities keep on growing. Welcome to the Reimagining Cyber Podcast, where we share short and to the point perspectives on the cyber landscape. It's all about engaging yet casual conversations on what organizations are doing to reimagine their cyber programs while ensuring their business objectives are top priority. With my co-host, Stan Wisseman, Head of Security Strategist, I'm Rob Borrego, Chief Security Strategist, and this is Reimagining Cyber. Hello, this is Rob Borrego. I'll be running solo today. Stan won't be joining the conversation I'll be having with Ron Ross, who is computer scientist and fellow at NIST, the National Institute for Standards. Ron and I will be covering a lot of ground, and therefore we'll spread this across two different episodes. Ron, hello. Thanks for having me uh, on your podcast today. I'm, I'm just excited to do this. Well, thank you for joining us. I know your schedule is extremely busy, but the topic is obviously uh, at the core of an interest for you. Um, you are one of the main authors of the NIST special publication, uh, 800-160 Volume 2, which is, by the way, congratulations almost on its one-year anniversary at this point in time. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. And so I think one of the things that would be great is just for you to provide a little bit of an introduction on yourself and your background first, if you don't mind. Sure. I uh, came to NIST. It's, it's hard to believe now. I've been at NIST almost uh, 23 years, and, and that was this is actually my second career. I, I spent 21 years in the Army as an Army officer, uh, retired in 1993, and then did some work in the private sector for a while. Uh, then came to NIST and uh, it really enjoyed my time at NIST. It's a great organization. Uh, we, as you know, develop uh, security and privacy standards and guidelines for the federal government. And many of those are adopted on a voluntary basis by the private sector. Mm-hmm. It's just a, a gr- the cybersecurity and privacy are just great fields to be in today. They're, it's at the heart of every discussion in every boardroom. And I really feel privileged and honored to be able to be a part of this and help our customers uh, build more secure systems so they can be successful in whatever their mission or business area might be. So I'm, I'm just really happy to be here today and, and do this with you. Excellent. Really appreciate your time. So let's start off with your perspective on cyber resilience, right? What, what is it kind of by definition, if you will? Cyber resilience, it's, it's almost a buzzword today. You could ask 10 different people and they give you 10 different definitions of it. But to me, uh, we're looking at a, a, I'm going to get a little context here. We're looking at a, a very complex information technology infrastructure today. We have the greatest technology on the planet and we're innovating it at record speed. And with that innovation and all of the things that are coming out of this great information technology space, there are literally trillions of lines of code, billions of devices with the IoT space now. And you have uh, uh, just unbelievable connectivity. We're at 4G moving into the 5G space now. And all of that complexity keeps on growing and growing and growing. And, and we're going to continue to innovate. That's how we roll. We, you, innovation is, is necessary for our national security. It's necessary for our economic security. And that's not going to change. But what that means to me is that it's a greatly increased attack surface. 
as that complexity grows, the adversary has a lot of opportunity to do damage through their cyber attacks. And the, the whole concept of cyber resiliency really is a, a next generation of thinking on where we started cybersecurity, I think, four decades ago. We largely started and continue today, for the most part, to have a one-dimensional strategy uh, on protecting our systems and our information in our, our business and missions. And that's a penetration-resistant uh, dimension. Mm -hmm. You build the wall as high as you can build it. You deploy all the safeguards and the countermeasures, and you're always running around uh, looking at the latest threats and vulnerabilities, and it just gets overwhelming. But even with everything going right in that first dimension, uh, all the cyber hygiene and everything we can do, we know that 5 to 10% or more of those cyber attacks may get through our best defenses. And that's not a really big issue for things that don't matter, systems that aren't that important. But we are seeing today a massive convergence of cyber and physical systems. So the information technology is coming right into the operations technology area, whether it's manufacturing, industrial control systems, that gray area is totally gone now. And so what do you do when the adversary is successful? And that's where NIST is proposing in the 800, uh, uh, volume two, our cyber resiliency guideline, is talking about some of these fundamental concepts. What do you do when the adversary is successful? How do you limit the damage that they can do once they're inside your network or your system? And that goes back to the cyber resiliency analogy that I use, the human body. The human body has a great immune system. And for 99% of the things that you come in contact with day to day, it does a great job. Occasionally, you can get cancer or we now have the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, the, the COVID-19 virus. And sometimes your body gets into trouble because it doesn't have as strong an immune system as you need. But in general, it does a great job. So how do we make our systems operate more like the human body? And really what that means is you can continue to operate your system, especially if it's critical. And we have a lot of those in the federal government and a tremendous number in the critical infrastructure in the private sector. Even our, our Fortune 500 companies, the mid-sized companies, mom and, small mom and pops, they all have critical missions and business functions. How do you continue to operate under stress, which could be a cyber attack, it could be some kind of other malfunction within the system. How does that system continue to operate even if it's in a degraded or a debilitated state. And I call that limping over the goal line, to use a football analogy. So that's kind of, in, in, at a high level, what I look at uh, cyber resiliency as being. Okay. And that's, I think that's very critical, right? As you look at it, it's the interpretation, as you were mentioning, of importance of understanding what it takes to keep the business moving forward. And so that's, that's a key topic. When you look at cyber resilience and, and the work that you've done at NIST, there's, there's kind of four focal points, right? four key goals that you should really be um, driving towards in your, if you will, program. And so the first one is about anticipation, preparation. Uh, the second one is obviously around how you can withstand those type of attacks. Uh, to your point, so, you know, kind of um, almost like elasticity, right? We can bounce back from this and our critical systems are being able to continue to, to move forward. It's, it's a minimal impact, if you will. The third element is... Um, if it's gone down uh, and we have some major impact to taking these systems out, how quickly can we recover from that? And ultimately, is take that knowledge, take those learnings and translate them back into how we can adapt our environments, evolve our programs and be better prepared for when these things happen again. If you kind of break down the four key goals of uh, the, the cyber resilience 
programmatic kind of thinking? Can you, can you give me some of the things that you think about the most? Sure. I think the, uh, the, this is really critical today because anticipation is another way of saying, uh, are, are you prepared for what is about to hit you? Mm-hmm. And when you talk about a complex infrastructure, you know, this is one of the frustrations that I've had for a long time. We've been doing this threat vulnerability analysis forever. We can't control the threat space. The, the adversaries are, are throwing their best and their brightest at us 24-7. They're well-resourced, especially nation-state level resources and terrorist groups who are well-funded. They have the best attack tools out. And our vulnerabilities keep on growing in this complex infrastructure. That's because the, the number of lines of code that are deployed in applications, I, I talk about the system stack. It's the applications, the middleware, the operating system, the firmware out to the network. Uh, all of that uh, is, is the stack. And that is very, very complex. And you're going to find, <clears throat> as always, in software development, that large quantities of software are going to have a certain number of weaknesses and deficiencies in that code. And so some of those can turn into vulnerabilities if they're exploitable by a, a threat source. And so that space continues to grow. And so how do you anticipate something that you can't understand or don't have any knowledge on? Well, that's where we have to start to go to some of the architectural designs and things that we know how to do that can move from that first dimension of, of, yes, I know what the traditional threats are. I know what my current vulnerabilities are. So you deploy your safeguards and your countermeasures on things that you know. But then, as we said, what happens when the adversary uh, is successful? They, they think of something that you haven't prepared for. So anticipation, to me, is about doing everything we know and doing it well. I call that the blocking and tackling. And that's not going to stop. But anticipation also says, I know they're going to throw something at me that I don't expect. What, are, what kinds of things can I do to help reduce my susceptibility to those unplanned events, things I don't know? And that's where we get into this thing called the second and the third dimension, which we'll be discussing a little later on damage limitation and cyber resiliency. So preparation, anticipation, that's always the first step, doing as much as you can to get prepared for what is about to uh, happen or when you go into the operational context. Withstanding is, again, kind of an outgrowth of that preparation. When you implement those controls and those safeguards, you're now putting up your best defenses. So you're going to be able to withstand 80 to 90% of the cyber attacks because a lot of these attacks, even though we talk about these new creative threats and these new creative cyber attacks, the vast majority are still the same old playbook that the adversary has been using forever. So you do want to to take that low-hanging fruit off the table. And that's why it's always important to go back to the basic cybersecurity blocking and tackling, doing those things well, just like any good football team, no matter what kind of fancy place they run, they always have the fundamentals down pretty well. That's what makes a winning football team a winning sports team in general. So with those two things, anticipation and then withstanding the attacks where you can, and then you move into the phase, well, what happens when they get the best of me? And that's the part about recovering and learning from those mistakes. So every time there's a a zero-day threat, that turns into a zero-day exploit, that's where they launch an attack that we don't have any defenses for because we're just not prepared. We didn't know about that. Once they launch that attack and we see the attack sequence and how it, was, how it transpired, now we have knowledge. 
now we can go back and we can apply a security control. We can change the architecture. We can kind of move into that space and close down that, that new vulnerability that we didn't know about before. That becomes now a known vulnerability and goes to the other, the other stack. And that stack is getting so high we can't even, we can't even see the end at this point. Um, and then from that, how do you recover from that? And that gets into the whole notion of cyber resiliency. And there are many, many things that we can do. And uh, you're going to talk about some of these in our, uh, our publication, 80160 Volume 2, going from those initial high-level goals, then you can take each of those goals and break those down. It's kind of hierarchical. So from the goals, we have a lot of different objectives that you can try to achieve. And then from those objectives, those spawn uh, various techniques and approaches, which gets you closer to closer implementation. So it's very hierarchical, it's very flexible, but that's how it all starts at the top with those goals. Right, right. I think it's some key aspects that you were talking about too, is as you, as you look at this, um, you know, a, a lot of it comes back into really understanding what from, if you think about it from more of that private sector conversation, you know, what, what are those business critical systems? Let's understand how we're going to programmatically be able to anticipate the type of attacks that are going to occur on those systems and when and if they do, right? How can we prevent that, minimize that downtime on those systems? So you talked a little bit about um, kind of some of the objectives associated to these goals, right? So thinking about them, um, but there's also these techniques. So we kind of continue to evolve through the framework, right? Here's your goals, here's your objectives, here's some techniques. Um, talk to me a little bit about one of the key techniques around kind of this adaptive response thinking. And what, what does that really mean to you? Adaptive response is really, uh, the, the, all the techniques are, are really good. And, and of course, the, every organization <clears throat> is going to have to figure out their own path through which techniques they choose based upon their objectives. But adaptive response is being able to be flexible and nimble and being able to change the system, your operations, the way you do business uh, in response to something that you discover about the adversary, something you discover about the system. And that nimbleness, that agility is really critical today. One of the things I want to circle back on, you mentioned that the critical uh, decisions, what, what are the most critical systems in our business operations? We, one of our first standards that we wrote back in, I think it was 2005 or 2006, it's one of our two cybersecurity uh, FIPS on the FISMA project. It's, it's called FIPS 199. And it's a very short standard, and I call this the, the criticality standard. It really asks every federal agency to identify the criticality and sensitivity or the impact of every different data type they process and all the systems that they use. And it's really based on the battlefield medicine premises. I call it the triage standard because every one of your data items and then the systems where those data items are processed, stored, or transmitted is categorized as either low impact moderate impact or high impact. The low impact systems are ones that don't matter all that much. There's a limited adverse impact if the adversary compromises that system or your business. The high impact ones are the opposite end of the extreme. That's where you have a severe or catastrophic effect on your mission or your business operations. Now the reason this standard is so important, and it's a very short, it's like 14, 15 pages, but criticality analysis and understanding you have a lot of systems out there. You're processing a lot of data every day in every organization. Being able to focus on which of your systems and your data and your missions are the most important, being able to do that triage is absolutely a critical first step in any cybersecurity program. If you want to be able to ensure 
in today's hostile uh, cyberspace environment that your critical missions and your critical operations are going to be well protected. You have to know what those are and you have to be able to decide on how you're going to apply greater safeguards and countermeasures to those types of systems than you would for systems that don't matter. And even with the massive connectivity where sometimes you have low impact systems connected to the moderate and the high systems within an organization, there are still methods where you can protect that, that source system from all of the things that they're connected to by applying some of the safeguards and countermeasures and the cyber resiliency techniques that we find in, in 80160 volume two. So that, that's really a, an important step, understanding what's important. And a lot of our customers, they get overwhelmed and they try to do everything all the time. And when you try to do everything to every system, you're going to fail because you don't have enough time, money, or resources to do that. Yeah, totally agree. Prioritization, right, is number one. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you, Ron. Really great conversation so far. In the next episode, we'll focus in on the intersection between cybersecurity and cyber resilience. There's differences, but also many similarities. Thanks for listening to the Reimagining Cyber Podcast. If you would like to have us cover a specific topic of interest, feel free to reach out to us and you can find out how in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe.